welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I have a fascinating show for you today. Uh, at a time when if we are all uh, having being made, not having been made, it's still going on, well, we're all being made to contemplate our own mortality because of coronavirus. Uh, that has made us feel very uncomfortable because death is the number one taboo in Western society. So, you know, and plus we've been in lockdowns, many of us, for um, quite some time. And so we've been locked down with these dark thoughts. Well, my guest today is going to help you out. <laughs> Today's show is called Discover What Happens When You Die from Someone Who Did. And this someone is Nancy Dennison. She is uh, a very renowned, educated woman. I will give you some of her background um, so that you can see that she is not someone who, <laughs> who uh, I don't know, who is <laughs> woo-woo or, you uh, know, woo-woo, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> woo-woo. Everybody knows what I mean by that. So, um, at least she wasn't. Before she died. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Nancy uh, had a, first of all, in terms of her education, she has a very very impressive education. She was a national merit finalist in a Catholic high school where she was graduated magna cum laude. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree in biology, anatomy and physiology, majoring in those and chemistry magna cum laude, and a Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology magna cum laude. She was a bit of a workaholic, and then to top (laughs) it off, a a doctorate in in, uh, jurisprudence, an attorney. And she was a very nationally known attorney. She she received many awards. Uh, Her peers and others uh, nominated her to be to receive these awards, and she was, again, nationally known, particularly in regard to a health law practice. So um, we can talk about some more of her background, um, educational or cred- her credentials, I should say. I can mention some other ones later, or perhaps she will. But I'm doing this, you know, to to um, to let you know that, that that she comes from a very, she has a lot of education behind her. One of the things, Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I need to talk with you (laughs) like everybody else does. (laughs) Um, One of the things I, when I was reading your credentials, one of the questions I had in my mind since you took um, uh, biology, anatomy, physiology, um, chemistry, were you originally, and psychology, were you originally planning to be a doctor? I was planning to be a psychiatrist. Really? <laughs> well, that would yeah. make sense with all the combination of all of those things. And, and what happened? Well, I, I didn't go to medical school because um, I worked through college as a lab assistant in the anatomy and physiology lab. 
and one of my jobs was to take care of the animals. You know, we had a dog and guinea pigs and, you know, uh, other various small animals. And people would bring animals in, and I would do surgery on them, and they all died. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this has got to be a sign, you know. I'm not supposed to go into medicine. (laughs) But you didn't have to be a surgeon. I mean, if you were going to be a psychiatrist. (laughs) Uh, And then also, you know, just... I had friends who went to medical school, and I realized that I just, I, di- I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could be around sick people all the time, and I, I'm an empath. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you're an uh-huh. empath, you know you pick up from other people. You know, you pick up their emotions and their, their you know, feelings and everything. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it would just wear me out going to medical school. I bet yes. it did you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it can be. Um, yes, I mean, if you're a good psychiatrist, you do pick up on, you know, those are the good psychiatrists um, who intuitively pick up on the other people's emotions uh, because you have to go beyond what they're saying and get to what they're really feeling. Um, okay, so you went to law school and you became a nationally recognized lawyer and so on. And well, tell us a little bit about your family and um did you get married? Do you have children? I had two brothers and sisters, um, two of each. My younger brothers are twins, and I did get married. I was married for five years <laughs> before I realized it wasn't right for me. I married one of my um, associates in the law firm. Uh-huh. And so we spent all of our time, you know, working. He was more of a workaholic than I was. And it just mm. didn't, you know, it, the, only time, the only time we saw each other was Sunday night for dinner and Saturday morning for breakfast. And that's not much of a marriage. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Well, um, I know anyway. how that, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, you'll be interested to Go know ahead. that one of the things that occurred during my first near-death experience was that I was given a very heavy dose of information about how poorly I had shown love during Nancy's lifetime. I was shown that I was a workaholic and that everything I did was driven by fear, fear of failure, fear of being wrong, fear of not having enough money, fear of not doing the right thing. I mean, it was just... It was horrific watching it from the perspective of the afterlife and seeing that, you know, I would go to Thanksgiving dinner at my mother's for an hour and then go back to the office. We would have Mm. a snowstorm and everything would be closed and I would go to the office. Um, Mm, mm. Yeah. (laughs) So that was a big wake-up call. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, then let's go to, you were 43, it was 1994, and take it from there in terms of what happened. Had you been healthy up until then? Yes. Uh-huh. Pretty, pretty okay, much. So. Yeah, I had allergies and stuff, you know, nothing, nothing too whacked out. Nothing major. And okay. I didn't have any kids. I forgot to tell you that. I, I never had any children. No time for that, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So take us to how the near-death experience happened. How they what? How the near-death experience happened. What happened that you died? Oh, oh. 
I was, my law partners, bless their little hearts, uh, decided to have a mobile mammography van in our parking lot. And so everybody in the, in the law firm who wanted to could go out and get a mammogram. So I did. And I got a call later saying, ah, you better come up here to the cancer hospital and, you know, get some more films. And make a long story short, I ended up with three tumors in my right breast. And my oncological surgeon scheduled me to have them removed. Instead of doing, like, punch biopsies, uh, he thought it was best to just remove a whole section of my breast. Well, because mm-hmm. there were three lesions and they didn't form lumps. That's one thing I hope the ladies in your audience hear and understand. You can't wait until there's a lump. You know, there are mm-hmm. cancerous tumors that don't, aren't big enough or don't get hard enough to form lumps. So I, I had what's called excisional biopsy. And because... You couldn't feel lumps. You couldn't tell where they were. So I had a radiologist stick a large bore needle with a wire inside of it into the center of the three tumors using a mammogram. (laughs) So you know how much fun a mammogram is. Imagine being squished with a wire inside your breast. And Mm. we did that eight times before Mm. they got the needle in the right place and the wire in the right place. And so I had an anaphylactic reaction to the local anesthetic combined with very low blood sugar and tachycardia Mm. and just the whole ball of wax killed me off. (laughs) But it was a very slow death. It was kind of cool. My vision went and then my hearing went and then I I sank down in my body and I kind of like whooshed out the front of the body and I said to myself wow this is cool I didn't know you could do this and from there I went into the light and I had well wait 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 oh <laughs> wait, wait, I'm sorry I could talk forever so, about that's this not whoosh so quickly <laughs> so okay so it, at this point you were in the hospital when they were doing this procedure and yes. um when you first felt your vision go what did you think was happening I had no idea, but I, I, my heart was racing. I was sweating profusely. I was nauseous. I was scared to death that I had cancer. And then my vision started going. You know, like peripheral vision went first, and then it slowly tunneled down, and the color left, and then I lost my black and white vision. And I had no idea what was going on. But I think because I had that science background, I... I just thought it was interesting. And when my hearing started to go, I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting too. And so from then on, I just approached the whole experience as, wow, this is really interesting and cool. I'm glad I get to do this. Well, did you think it was the anesthetic? No, you said it was a local anesthetic, so you couldn't have thought that you were being made unconscious because of the anesthetic. Um, I mean, did you... Think at what point did you realize you were dying? Oh, it was way, way far into the experience. I um, I never lost consciousness. I was hyper conscious as soon as I got out of my body. And I, well, I was in the in the light at first by myself, and so I started doing a review of systems 
and history and physical like uh-huh. a doctor does because uh-huh. I was a health lawyer. You know, yeah. I knew how to do that. So I was doing all that trying yeah. to diagnose myself. And it wasn't until, well, I started getting these huge downloads of information about all kinds of things that I'd been interested in. And eventually I met my five closest, dearest, most beloved friends and spiritual friends, eternal friends. But right before I met them, I saw my body down in the mammography room. And I knew I was in the afterlife. I mean, I knew that just from what I'd been through. And I saw my body down there, and I thought, nah, I couldn't have died. I mean, I heard that people go through a tunnel before, you know, into the light, and I didn't see any tunnel. And boom, I'm in a tunnel. And I went through three experiments of creating out of thought literal physical reality the human's experience. And it was so cool. But that's what convinced me that, that I had died because I figured I wouldn't have had those experiences if I hadn't died. Well, wait. Okay, I'm going to want to know what experiences. But before that, when you say you met five of your dearest friends, you, you mean people who had died that you then saw in this afterlife? No, they were people that I knew through eternity, none of whom I had known in Nancy's life. Okay. (laughs) But how did you know at this beginning point, um, when you were just realizing that you were dying or had died, um, how did you know that, well, I know what you're going to say, I think, (laughs) just the knowing that these were five people, you know, your five eternal friends. I mean, how did you know that? I recognized them. And I had this overwhelming feeling of coming home. I was finally home. I saw them and I realized, oh, my God, these are my people. These are my loved ones. These are the people I've been with eternally. And I I knew their names. They were you know, in a language I'd never heard before. And I just okay. felt like I was at home with these with these beings, and they stayed with me through the whole experience. Did they, um, did they you know, like in Wizard of Oz, um, how the, char- the real-life characters before the tornado uh, are represented metaphorically in Oz? You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yes. Um, like Auntie M, you know, was the witch and all that kind of stuff. Um, so did you, when you came back, did you see people in your real life that you recognized were connected to these five eternal friends? No. Okay. Have you been in touch with these five eternal I mean, do you still feel some connection to them? Um, yes, I do. Um, and I, I did have some communication with them. Um, I've had five near-death experiences, three of which I went into the afterlife. The other two, I just wandered around the hospital during surgery. Um, (laughs) those were interesting too. I don't want to get too far ahead. Um, well, all right, I'm sorry. I didn't let you answer the question about 
still being but, infectious. Yeah, so early on, gonna... uh, yeah, early on, I I did get information from them, and from time to time, I can ask them things like for myself or for other people, answers to questions, and the answers are usually uh-huh. like a sentence or two. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So. Um, why don't you tell us, we're going to have to uh, take a break in this very soon. So, uh, but what I want to ask you is to tell us about the experiments that you did to test to see whether you were dead. Okay. Why don't you start? Okay. Tell us about the first one. First one was um, after I saw myself down in, you know, the mammography room and I saw my body there without me. Um, I said, you know, nah, I couldn't have died. I would have gone through a tunnel into the light if I died. And what I saw was an earthen tunnel, like a, an old 1920s type paved road through a single opening tunnel in a stone wall that was dark and moldy smelling. And I could hear insects in the air and I could smell the you know, the, the air and the mold and the plants, and I could feel the ground under my feet as I walked through the tunnel. And I said to myself, huh, other people get these beautiful celestial tunnels with stars and, <laughs> and angels, and I get dirt. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Well, why don't we take a break now, and you can tell us about the other two. Okay. Um, my, my guest is uh, telling us... All about her, I don't know, Nancy, do you like to call it near-death experience, or how do you like to describe it? Oh, that's Would what the literature, that's yeah, that's what the literature uses. I, I call them afterlife experiences. Okay, then I'll call them that. All right, so my guest is Nancy Dennison, and she has begun telling us about her afterlife experiences, and I will be asking her questions. I know there are some of you there thinking, oh, yeah, <laughs> how, how do we know that that really happened and so on, and I'll be asking her more questions, you know, I, it's, but this was her experience in any case. Okay, stay tuned for more exciting experiences <laughs> in the afterlife. <laughs> You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I want to get right back to my guest. Nancy Dennison, who is telling us all about her afterlife experiences, um, and we were we <laughs> we had left the uh, table where she was having uh, biopsies to check whether um, she had malignant tumors, you know, whether or not they were malignant, and um, and we were talking about how you tried to do while you were slipping away, he tried to do three experiments to see what was really going on. We talked about the first one. What was what came next? The first one was the um, tunnel. What did you do next? Okay, well, I wasn't on the table having biopsies when this occurred. It was um, right after the needle was inserted into my breast, and it was before I was sent over to surgery. So oh, okay. I, it was you know, much earlier in the process. The, and I went through a lot of experiences before I got to this point where I was manifesting, and that's what it's called, and that's what we do as spiritual entities. We manifest into physical reality what we truly and deeply believe about life, the world, and ourselves and our place in the world. And so the first manifestation I created was that tunnel. The second one was a beautiful meadow. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Robin Williams. What, what dreams may come. What I can't remember the name of it, but it's um, he. There's a scene in there where he's running through a meadow of painted, you know, oil paints, and it's from a painting that his wife had painted before she died. And I uh-huh. saw a similar, you know, meadow with trees and birds and butterflies and snow-capped mountains and the or purple purple haze mountains in the distance. But I knew it wasn't real. And I knew both of those experiences were not real. So I said to myself, uh-huh. uh, I'm creating these myself. I, I'm just creating them out of thought. And so the third experiment was supposed to be the, the, the tell-all. I found myself walking in the, in, in the hospital. I could feel the floor under my feet. I had a nurse beside me. I could smell her cologne. I could smell the industrial cleaning products in the hospital. I could see the stripe down the wall. You know, you follow the purple stripe to, stripe to the operating rooms. And 
it was completely real. It was absolutely as real as anything I've ever experienced in Nancy's life. But I knew it wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And so those, were my, those were my three manifestations. I did eventually get so taken over surgery. <laughs> uh-huh. But, so wait, so what happened in terms of the doctors and all that? Did they know that you had died? What, what was really happening in, your, in the real life? The um, radiologist ha- had done the needle localization procedure and had a radiation tech uh, with her, and they were you know, doing the mammograms together, and the, the tech would take them, get them developed. Well, after the eighth set of mammograms, the, the doctor and the rad tech both left together and left me in the room by myself, just sitting there with a, sitting up in a chair with my arms on the arms of the chair with a wire sticking out of my chest waiting for them to come back and dying. And how, how long did they leave you alone? Um, we don't know. Um, you know. However long it takes to develop mammography films and take a break. I mean, they've well, been at it for like an hour and 15 okay. minutes. And when they came back and I, I told them that I, I, what I said was I'd passed out. Um, and they got a nurse. They called a nurse from out in the hallway to come in and take my blood pressure, and it took a half an hour for my blood pressure to come up from 60 over palp to normal. So did they think that you died? They created an incident report. The the radiologist created an incident report, and it And what did it say? It didn't say I had died. It just reported the facts. It said that... I had lost consciousness that I was oriented to time and place, but not people, um, and that it took a, they took readings of my blood sugar and my blood pressure, and it took a half an hour for me to come back to normal. And they kept, um, they put an IV on, on me, and they kept a person beside me the whole rest of the day. Well, it seems pretty outrageous that they left you alone to begin with, really. Well, when I had the as needle localization procedure. Lawyer, uh, well, as a health law lawyer, you would know that this would have been a great lawsuit. Uh, well, I wasn't going to sue my client. I mean, the radiologist was one of my clients. The hospital was <laughs> one of my clients. But that, that was the normal protocol. When I had the same procedure, needle localization procedure in 2011, they left me alone for 20, 30 minutes at a time, an hour at a time. That's, wow. that's just part of the process. Even though I had died the first time I'd been through it, they still left me yeah, alone. Yeah, after you, after you told them that, presumably, and they still left you alone? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, what, maybe what, one thing you probably don't know is that uh, my day job is as a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness, and that's why I jumped to, oh, wow, that would be a great... <laughs> A great case. <laughs> All right. So let's continue with the afterlife and what was happening. Okay. Well, after I did the, the three experiments to manifest physical reality, I, um, you know, and I met my, my beloved eternal friends. I had a life review. And it was like being inside a bubble with a film all around me. And I could see little tiny snippets from my life floating all over that bubble. Like every thought, everything I ever saw, everything I ever heard, everything I ever felt, every scene from Nancy's life, 
every dream, every wish, everything. It was all just like sliding on, like on the on the outside of a soap bubble. It was just sliding around, mm-hmm. and I was reliving it all at once. It was so cool. But I was saying to myself, well, you know, been there, done that. What I was more interested in was I saw all the other physical lives I'd ever had. And, you know, I never believed in incarnation before. I was a Catholic. You know, they, they never said anything about it. But I saw and remembered every single moment of hundreds and hundreds of other lifetimes I had lived all over the universe. And I was astounded sure. that I couldn't remember them while I was in Nancy's life. But I was told that that's, hmm. that's the way it works. We, we have amnesia about all of our other lifetimes, except for little tiny snippets here and there. But so I, I was like living those other lives and, you know, ex- going through, you know, those memories instead of, you know, reliving Nancy's life. Uh-huh. And what was the best uh, previous life you had? Oh, gosh. I had some more after I got back in the body. Um, and one of them that I really liked was as a fish. And I would come up <laughs> to, to the surface of the ocean or lake or whatever I was in, high enough to see the sunlight, you know, da- you know dappled down in, into the water. And I would come up to the sunlight uh-huh. and I would float around there. And then I would see or hear a boat coming and I'd go zooming back down in the water. And I don't know why I really liked that one, but it was just, I just liked it. And there were lifetimes. Pardon? Wait, wait. In real life, before that, um, had you felt a particular affinity for fish? Like, did you have fish in an aquarium, or did you go fishing, or anything to do with fish? No. Did you no. did you like to eat fish? <laughs> yes, I still do. <laughs> Even though I was one. <laughs> well, I also remembered, you know, a lifetime as a big cat. I I remember being a, a like what we would call an alien being that was kind of like humanoid shaped it with scales and, you know, green and gray scales, and I was a shuttle pilot. Uh-huh. And I would shuttle uh for spaceships that couldn't get into the docking ports of the space station, I would take goods from the Hmm. space station and shuttle them out to these big spaceships and drop them off and come back. And I remember that lifetime in great detail when I learned to be, learned to fly an airplane. And it was the awfulest time trying to break myself of the habit of just dropping the airplane down to the ground and coming in low and slow instead of coming down at an angle. Because that's what I was used to doing in the space shuttle. And I remember doing that. You know, um, I, I like to go chronologically, but I, I do want to, this is a good point, so I don't want to forget to mention this. You, um, you after you came back um, sometime later, when you had no, no longer had a fear of death, you say that you, um, you got a private pilot's license when you were 50, so seven years after you had had your first um, uh, afterlife experience, and you also became a licensed private detective at 55. Um, I mean, yeah. the idea of not being afraid anymore of death um, is so freeing, I would imagine. Well, one of the things that um, I haven't really been able to go into any depth on 
is the love that I experienced in the afterlife, the tremendous sense of acceptance, of coming home, of feeling, you know, just feeling at home and feeling loved unconditionally. And I, I want everyone to know that that is what it's like when you die. You just, you go into another state of awareness where you feel bliss and love and acceptance. And because well, now, I, was, you... I was used to that, I was no longer afraid of dying. So I felt, you know, safe, learning to fly an airplane <laughs> and doing crazy things with guns as a private detective. Oh, wow. <laughs> with guns. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had a concealed um, carry permit. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I was, I was thinking, you know, in danger as a private detective, like because of the, some of the situations you would get into, but I didn't think about guns. Um, so what about, did you see people uh, at any point during your afterlife experience, people like your parents or grandparents or uh, people who you had loved who had died? Uh, well, the first time I just saw my five eternal friends. The second time I didn't see anybody from human life. The third time my parent, I saw my parents and a guy that I knew from my gym. And I got, I got to tell you that story. When, at the end of my first afterlife experience, I, you know, I kept saying, after I learned everything, you know, about, you know, how my religions had taught me all kinds of things that weren't true, and I saw history of Earth, I kept saying to myself, well, somebody ought to go down there and tell those people. And unfortunately, I was the one selected to go down to tell those people. When you are given a mission like that, there are spiritual entities in the afterlife who monitor your progress because you don't remember. You know, once you're back in a human body, you don't remember any of it or about the mission. So I had this group of spiritual beings that monitor me and I was called back by them to the afterlife a second time and basically smacked up the side of the head and said, you know, you're not doing your mission. Well, the third time I was before them is because I was dying again or my body was dying again. And that was the time that my parents were there. They were on... The, the council of spiritual beings who uh, were monitoring my progress. And, for, and they, they came in as just luminous beings. But then for like one second, they took on the physical appearance of my mother and my father. And oh, my gosh, it was so wonderful. I mean, it was just so wonderful mm-hmm. to see them again. And then mm-hmm. the, the last person that came in was this guy from my gym named Jeff. <laughs> and he had on, I mean, he was hu- human. He was from human life, and he had, you know, human clothes on. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, my gosh, I must really be in trouble if they called in the field agents. <laughs> <laughs> and he just That's looked so at funny. me, and, yeah, he just looked at me, and he mouthed the word, surprise. I mean, it's so funny, because he must have been, like, a relatively, you would think, he would be a relatively unimportant person in your life you know, for you to then see. Of all your friends and relatives and all that um, who died, um, you would, you know, it, it, didn't it seem funny to you that someone who didn't have as much a really significant part in your real life that he would be there? Yes, that's why, and that's why he said surprise. 
and later, you know, in talking with him and emailing, and I kind of came to the conclusion that you know, we're never down here alone. We're never down here with no one keeping tabs on us, you know, from the afterlife. We, you know, we always have somebody who's out there that we can reach out and touch if we need okay, to. Wait a and second. You said emailing. Are you saying, I'm confused. Are you saying yeah, he's, he's, that he's still in human life? He's, he didn't die. He's still in human life. He, he, didn't, he didn't die, but you just saw him up there. Yeah. Figure that one out. After life, but he hadn't died. And he hadn't so died. when you emailed him, what? Yeah, he hadn't died, and so I, I told him. Well, actually, I wasn't sure which Jeff it was. I knew two Jeffs. And so when I saw the, yeah. one of them, I, I told him the story, and I could feel that it, what, he wasn't the right one. Well, when I told the second Jeff <laughs> the story, yeah. he said, yeah, that was me. And I could feel that it was him. And so we emailed back and wow. forth, and he helped get me through the, the cancer um, surgeries and treatments and everything in 2011 and 2012 and 2013. So that's oh, why well, I said I, I, we, we do need to take another break. Um, but that that is fascinating. You know, I'm going to have to have you on again because there's no way we're going to be able to get through this whole, all of these five times that you died. Um, this is fascinating stuff. Uh, okay, so my guest, my guest is Nancy Dennison. We're talking today about the afterlife, and uh, just in case that you may have been thinking about and wondering about what happens when you die, as we all have been because of coronavirus. Uh, despite our not particularly wanting to think about it. So we will be right back to Nancy, and you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about discover what happens when you die from someone who did, and the someone who did is Nancy Dennison. Um, we were, one thing that I was asking Nancy during the break uh, about whether she had been in contact with or read any books of other people who claimed to have had afterlife experiences or what they may have called near-death experiences, um, because I know, Nancy, you must get that as a question, of course, all the time. Didn't you just, you know, how do we know that you had these experiences for yourself? You could have just read a whole bunch of books of other people who had near-death experiences, and you're just kind of repeating it. So what do you say to those people? <laughs> well, there isn't much correlation between the experience I had and what I've read in books. I was told, I was given the impression when I was in the afterlife that I was given all this information and I was allowed to remember, you know, some portion of it because I was to become a messenger. It was, the earth and humanity were in dire straits and we're really getting <laughs> getting worse as we go along. And it was time right. for another messenger to come. And so my near-death experiences were never about me. They were about messages. And I was given a, a, a lot of information about life, death, the afterlife, everything. And the, the only thing that was really about me during my first afterlife experience was the life review. And I didn't even watch it. So I, I didn't uh-huh. really... There, there really isn't much... In, other people's experiences that I recognize from mine, I can tell when I read them that they didn't get very far into the afterlife. But hmm. there wasn't really anything from their experiences that I could borrow. And I didn't start reading um, NDE experiences until after I had written a thousand pages of my own. Of your memories. And you were saying during the break, you were telling me that your experience is what is considered a transcendental experience as opposed to their experiences, which were more personal experiences. Yeah, that's just a category of um, what I've heard physicians, you know, breaking near-death experiences down into various categories. And when, when your experience is more about information and... Uh, the world in general and life in general, then it's called a transcendental one. Uh-huh. Now, before now the, the, you had the, the first afterlife experience, were you, I know you had a Catholic schooling and so on, but were you, or were you religious, number one, and um, also were, ha, did you believe in, were you spiritual, not necessarily in terms of Catholic, but like did you believe in spiritual kinds of things? All the above. I was religious and spiritual. I mean, there were things about the Catholic Church I didn't like, like racism and bigotry. Um, But that was, you know, because, you know, talking about things from the Old Testament when those were prevalent attitudes. And I pretty much believed, you know, everything I'd learned in Catholic school. I had 12 years of Catholic education, four years of Methodist college. And I was spiritual in the sense of, you know, I believed... 
that people connected spiritually, and I believed in energy healing, and and I believed if you did the right thing, you know, what you put into the world would come back to you, uh, if it was good, you know, if it was good. So I, I was all those things, and until my first mm-hmm. afterlife experience, where I learned that those were all not true. Hmm. Okay. So now, um, um, to you. So it turned out we were, as we were talking during the break. Um, I was asking you about whether you were diagnosed with cancer after, during this uh, mammography and the biopsies for the when you had your first afterlife experience. And you said they called it um, uh, that it would have been, it could have been called, or would have been called. Um, ductal cancer in situ or hyperplasia, which are basically both uh, precancerous kinds of lesions. Right. So I was put on um, very close cancer wash after that. Okay. And so um, now you talk about uh, how, and then you you went on to develop cancer, more cancer. And the other breast, yes. Uh Uh-huh. And... um, and you were talking about how um, how you were told during your first afterlife experience, or, or one of the early ones, that you were going to have um, that you. It was it because you didn't weren't a good messenger at first. I mean, it took seven years before you started writing your memories down, right? Yes. Well, I had okay, I wrote so, some I wrote some of them down right after the surgery. Like, I wrote all the medical information down right after the surgery. And then in 1995, I saw a TV movie of Daniel Brinkley's book, Saved by the Light. And I mm-hmm. realized that's, that's what had happened to me. And I'd never heard of it before. And so I wrote more down, you know, the parts that kind of correlated with his story. Uh, but I didn't write the, the, the thousand pages of text <laughs> until seven years later. It... Research has shown that it takes about seven years to integrate uh, an afterlife experience and to make peace with it. And I had a particularly hard time making peace with it because I was an extremely firm believer in what I believed. And Uh I, I got in the afterlife and I was given this far more glorious, comforting, powerful, wonderful explanation of life that was completely different than anything I'd ever believed before. And I had a hard time having all my beliefs pulled out from underneath me. Uh-huh. And so I understand well, why people know, don't, don't want to believe me. I, I get that. Uh-huh. Okay, so is it true that um, I thought I read somewhere that Because it took you a while (laughs) to write all these books, Nancy has written uh, five books so far and also CDs, DVDs, and does workshops. Um, Because it, uh, I mean, was that your punishment? Or they told you somehow in in your first or second life, afterlife experience that you were going to be getting sick, more cancer, or or have, have to suffer with medical problems. Tell us about that. Uh, I, no, it wasn't a punishment. The, you know, I, I, that's my mission, is to tell anyone who will listen what happened to me and what I learned in the afterlife and to try to experience unconditional life 
in Nancy's life. The, that was my mission. The third time I was in the afterlife is because I had um, extremely low blood sodium. And so I, I was having convulsions and and a bunch of other things were going wrong with me. And I, I died and I went into the afterlife. I died in bed and went into the afterlife. And they told me that um, Nancy was going to die. And I had a choice. I could either come home and they wouldn't hold it against me that I hadn't completed my mission, or I could go back into Nancy's life. But if I chose her life, I would suffer for the rest of her days. And so I said, what, oh, why? give me the suffering. Why you give you what? I said, so I said, said oh, you give me the suffering. The suffering. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay, but like why? Why were you going to suffer? Because I wanted to complete my mission. I, I, of, of telling everybody about what yes. you had learned. Yes. Okay. And so if you would, but you mean, but they didn't want you to tell people? Is, is that it? You would suffer because they, were they trying to stop you from telling people? No, I would suffer because Nancy was not healthy. Dying's not good for your health. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they knew that Nancy was going to get... Um, stage three metastatic breast cancer and have heart trouble and have a stroke and you know all these other problems and have you know loved ones die and you know they knew what was ahead of me I uh-huh. didn't and so I see what you're no, saying. So they, they weren't trying they to were keep me telling you. they were just warning me you know so that I would be informed and could make a intelligent choice I see I see I see that uh, yeah, okay I get it um. Wow, hard choice. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I mean, hard and 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 not hard. Um, well, one of the things, though, and I think I would like to have you back on and to talk about the whole other part of this, which is um, the things that you've learned in terms of um, how we can make things manifest, um, because because one of your um, books. Where did I see this here? Uh, I have this here. Um, well, Creating reality. Me looking for it. Yes, yes. And so where where you're where we're able? I mean, it's beyond beyond the um, uh, the law of attraction. Oh, here it is. Okay. <laughs> let me let me mention all your books. Um, backwards, returning to our source for answers. Uh, backwards guidebook. Backwards Beliefs, Revealing Eternal Truths Hidden in Religions, uh, Answers from the Afterlife, and your latest one, Create a New Reality, Move Beyond Law of Attraction Theory. Um, so I would like you to, uh, to come back on and um, tell us about, you know, these, these various things, messages that you learned, uh, including after, you know, Beyond the Law of Attraction, because I know a lot of people, including myself, um, got got you know very excited about the law of attraction and then very disappointed by it when we weren't able to. I mean, I shouldn't really say that. Um, I have manifested things. Um, I haven't had a near death experience yet, but uh, I have manifested things, but not to the extent, not not uh, according to or proportional with all of the work that I put in. <laughs> in terms of the law of attraction, <laughs> very you know, very poor return on investment. Let me tell you, <laughs> I know the but, feeling. Um, <laughs> so, um, 
So, uh, and I think a lot of people had that same experience. You know, we all got excited and uh, started doing all the stuff and sitting there waiting, <laughs> you know, and and sometimes sometimes there are absolutely things that, you know, magic seem to magically appear, things that you had been um, trying to manifest for quite, sometimes it takes a long time, longer than you would like. I think that's part of it, too. But anyhow, um, so I would like you to come back and, and talk about all these different messages, the things that you learned while you were um, in the afterlife. And um, we are just about out of time right now. So I've given all the, oh, it's just a matter of giving your website. I gave all the names of your books. Now let, tell, us, tell everyone your website that you'd like us to go to. Oh, I have two of them. One is backwardsbooks.com, and the other one is nancydanison.com, N-A-N-C-I-D-A-N-I-S-O-N.com. And the second one is all about manifesting. And that's, uh-huh. I think that, okay. was my, that was why I was given the mission, really, was to tell people that we are powerful. We have power over our lives. We're not victims. And I can tell you exactly how to change your life. And I did in my book, Create a New Reality. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, it's not my idea. You know, it's what I was I was told by God, the source. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, this has been great, Nancy. Um, really, and um, I'm sure my I'm sure it's been very comforting to my listeners as well because it's a much calmer, more beautiful uh, view of um, what the afterlife is like than uh, what a lot of us have been thinking in our dark days in lockdown. So, Nancy Dennison, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 